This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This is the besotted Pride of West London Quarantine Podcast. And we're midway through the quarantine. Well, we say we're midway. We're fingers crossed we're midway through the quarantine, which means that we're hopefully getting near the peak and coming out the back end, almost like a light at the end of the tunnel. Keeping our fingers crossed here. My name's Billy Grant, and I'm in the... No, I'm not in the pub. I'm always so used to saying I'm in the pub. I'm actually not in the pub. I'm in the front room in, as we call it, the virtual joint, the place where we hang out together. We're not quite in the same room, but we are, because we're all chums and buddies here in the same place, all supporting the same team, Brentford FC. And like I said, my name's Billy Grant, and I'm sitting here in the virtual joint with my buddy, Laney. Boy. Laney, how are you? Yeah, I'm all right, mate. I'm, I'm getting a bit stir-crazy, I have to admit. I've, uh, I've been all right up until today. And I'm feeling a little bit like, uh, I wouldn't say low, but I'm just feeling a little bit like, beginning a bit monotonous. So, uh, you know, if you've been lucky the sun's been out, luckily it's not affected me um, in terms of any of my like loved ones dying, which some people um, have had to have to cope with that. So, you know, I feel relatively blessed that, um, although that it's, you know, obviously it's, it's hard for all of us in different ways, at least... Uh, I've not had to deal with anything too traumatic as yet. But as you say, it's kind of half time, isn't it? You know, we've got this far. Um, we seem to think that the, 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 it's on the decline, but we don't know. So, uh, yes, yeah, fingers crossed we can, uh, we can come out of this. Quite nice to see you all in the flesh. It would be indeed. Listen, we've got Lord Liberal Nick of West Country. The Liberal, how are you? Oh, I'm really good, Bill. Really good. I've been, you know, been patrolling the patrolling the land every day, making sure that you know nobody, nobody who's not wanted comes on and brings their, you know, brings the viruses with them. So you know, good signs up saying keep away and all that, and hanging a few crows from the lampposts, you know, just as a warning, just as a warning to all you Londoners, you know, not to affect those of us who now live in Devon, you know. I, I, to use an analogy, I think this is probably the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end. So I'm, uh, yeah, I'm all right. I, I am desperate to 
see a bit of civilization come back up to the big smoke, although I gather it's not very smoky now anymore in London. I gather the streets are so... So... So get asthmatic, so, you know, it's found well, all that stuff. Nick, Nick, you say that, but the bastard next door to me had a bonfire earlier, so it was quite smoky. And also we've got here, he's actually, well, he, by the sounds of things, he's at the Lionel Road Stadium, you know. We've got Greville, the water man, you know what I'm saying? He's with the builders, and, and, and you're putting in the last seats and putting the electricals there, aren't you, by the sounds of things, Greville? Well, I'm just waiting for them to start taking my money from my account, but hopefully that will not be for a while. Uh, yeah, we're fine. Listen, we're blessed. We've got our health. We've got to keep things in perspective. We've got the whole family here, which actually is quite nice. Um, just slowing things down, thinking, looking for things to do. The floor's never been cleaner. The dog's never been walked so much. I've never written so much. Um, yeah, it's all. We need to get a bit on top of me, but it's it's pretty good. Without any other room to go to or anything like that. <laughs> no, we'll ignore that. That's right. That's right. And, and, and I know it sounds really strange because like when you sort of kind of pretty much are living within four walls, you know, even though Liberal Nick's probably living between sort of 742 walls, but you know... <laughs> if you're living... Don't exaggerate, don't exaggerate, Bill, 640. Yes, indeed. But um, if you're living, I mean, and it's so kind of strange to sort of say kind of what have you been up to, but we've got to ask, what have you been up to, Laney? Um, I finished YouTube. <clears throat> I, 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 finished, I finished the whole of the rest of YouTube. And I, I found that there were some really interesting things on that, Bill, if you want. Are you interested in any of the no, stuff? No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, you sure? Uh, I've launched a, a couple of books. Um, and uh, I, I, I had a very, very good um, food bank uh, charity um, rate fundraising um, last week. So, you know, I've, I've, been, I've been quite busy. But um, as I said, I've just been blessed that the sun's been out. So it's not like, you know, you can go out in the garden and I can kind of just... Uh, Unwind a bit. Ladies, well, I'm just wondering, is everything you find yourself either forced to or just decided that you're kind of doing just different stuff now? What have you noticed is different in what you're doing, what's been around you? I'm just wondering, you know, how has this affected you? I, I, I actually do think there's been a lot of positives from this. I mean, as, as I said, you know, you, know you, you can't take for granted that, you know, we are living in a, in a, in a sort of medical emergency. So, you know, assuming the fact that you can escape the actual virus yourself and your loved ones. Um, the positives are that, you know, the stress levels around me, I can feel, have gone down. Um, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the roads are quiet, the air, you know, the, the noise levels around, you know, right next to Heathrow, it's, it's quiet. Um, you know, the, you know, you're walking along the river, it's stunning, you know, the, the blossoms out, the birds are singing. It, it's it's beautiful spring in England. It's easy to forget, you know, why why we're in this situation. So yeah, there, there are positives, but I mean, obviously, my God, there's some. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with all of that. I mean, the beauty. I mean, you know, Devon has never looked more beautiful than it does at the moment. The hedgerows are out, the blossoms are out. It's um, bluebells just coming through. Just fantastic time. What I really miss, though, is on my walks is not being able we've got a really good local pub near us um and i feel really sorry the landlord took over this new pub literally about two weeks before lockdown and i'm really missing when i go off on a walk you know out of the evening sort of i shut my laptop walk off 
do a 15 minute walk sort of clear my head and it'd be really nice to go to my local pub and be able to have a uh, able to have a, a pint of beer while enjoying the sunshine and that that actually hit me this weekend i couldn't do that the whiz from beginning to end all 1500 pages of the cricket almanac which uh, as you know i'm a great cricket fan i don't think i've ever read more than about 200 pages of that in the past because there's never been enough time um, and um, be catching up on a bit of old TV. Your recommendation, Bill, of watching some of the old World Cups on Amazon. Um, yet last night I watched the uh, 1966 World Cup um, oh, yeah. film, and that was fantastic, actually. Thanks for the recommendation on that one. Who, 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 uh, <laughs> some, team, some team playing in some team playing in black and white. Oh, don't don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for me. Even though it was in colour, to be fair, the the, the documentary and Greville. I haven't got I haven't got colour television down here. I've no, only got black and white. Trevor, what you been up to? Well, been up to just sort of pottering around, really, helping out where I can, um, spending time with the family, writing my next book, writing the odd article. Part of it is quite peaceful. It, it's sort of apart from this pervasive fear, because our next door neighbour was very, very ill, very, very ill, uh, nearly died. Um, so that brought it pretty close to home, literally. But you just get on with things. And that actually, I'm, as Dave says, there's some very good things coming out of it. I think it's going to change the way we live. It's changing the way we think. It's changing our attitude towards others, at least for most people. So again, I'm trying to accentuate the positive. Simple as that. But I miss my football. Talking about missing your football as well, and you're talking about writing articles, because you, uh, you're in the middle of an article... For uh, for a little piece that we're trying to pull together, because as you've probably seen on Besotted, we've been we've been quite mellow, just uh, in the lockdown vibe. We've been just sort of kind of taking stock a little bit, you know, getting our own lives in order, getting you know, doing our family things, and uh, and also just trying to f- come up with something, you know, that we could do something that's a little bit different, which could actually kind of add a little bit. And all of a sudden, we thought, tell you something, let's hark back a little bit to sort of the big events of the last sort of 20 or 30 years and let's see if we could do a few features on it so the first one we decided that we're going to do is the 1989 cup run which is uh, obviously where Brentford got to the quarterfinals against Liverpool so we're going to do a few little features on there there's going to be a few articles there's going to be some videos that we've uh, that we've uh, that we've, uh, we've we've found photographs and uh, we're also going to do a podcast which will be featuring a few of the players that um were featuring in that Brilliant. as well, so uh, that's going to be all good. And uh, I know Greville, you're right in the middle of writing a, a little article for us on that one, aren't you? Yeah, I sent you a bit more today. Um, I've just written the background to where Brentford were around that time and putting that season into context in terms of how mediocre we were in the mid '80s. Couldn't believe how bad we were. Couldn't believe <laughs> the crap football. Couldn't believe the low crowds. I mean, the average crowd was at between three and four and a half thousand. You know, and believe me, we were lucky to get that many. And then everything changed with Steve Perriman. He brought a bit of professionalism to the club. But the most interesting thing, and I haven't quite got to the bottom, I don't think I can get to the bottom of it, is that suddenly Martin Lange decided to loosen the purse strings a bit. And he'd always been very tight, very cautious, very careful. Now, to a degree, that team, you know, that team of 89 was a really, really fantastic team. And I'll tell you what, I wouldn't mind seeing them, you know, playing against the 2014 promotion team. 
because I don't think there'll be too much between them, really. Yeah, we should have gone up. Yeah. yeah, we should have gone up. We finished ninth, eighth, I think. Yeah, we played no. 63, 63 games. No, we, fin we finished seventh. It didn't have been for the LDV Cup run. Yeah, it was the LDV. Anyway, I've written pretty much everything apart from, and I've stopped to allow other people to write about the actual cup matches. But it was a great season, and it was frustrating because we should have been so much better. And so selling Andy Sinton, well, we had to sell Andy Sinton. Selling him to QPR wasn't a great thing. Uh, replacing him with John Purdy was even worse. But it was a good season. It was, but we're going to talk about that in the actual FA Cup podcast, which will be, maybe we might have it by, by next weekend, or by the well, weekend afterwards, maybe. But we'll, we'll be let fun you know if it's going to come out, which is, which is all good. And, and for myself, like I said, oh, well, you know, I've been, well, like I said to you, the Liberal Knicks told you, I am... Um, you know, if you know on Amazon Prime, they've got basically every single World Cup documentary from 1954 all the way through to the last one in Russia 2018. So me and my daughter have pledged ourselves every morning. We sit down there and we watch one documentary from a year. So we, we, we chose uh, 66 one um, a couple of days ago. And then today we actually watched the World Cup 86 from Mexico, the Maradona one as well, which is which was quite good. And I think tomorrow morning we're going to watch... Uh, Italia 90, where I was there at the semi-finals that as well. So, uh, so it was just a little bit of education to the younger ones as to the history of football, the World Cup, and the big players who are out on the world stage then, which is, which is all good. Is your, is your trilby in every single one of those? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this, this, this preempted the, the trilby days, you know. But saying that, I have been also, as you know, because we've got footage as well, because all the bits of footage that we're going we're gonna to dig up, but... We have got footage, I've managed to dig up footage from the Anglo-Italian Cup that we made. Um, got, I think it's about, about four or six hours of literally fan terrace video footage <laughs> from the Anglo-Italian Cup. So there's all kinds of nonsense I know, there. there's all sorts of malarkey on there, I can tell you that much. We started off in Rome, I've got us with the Brentford flag. Um, in Lazio, in the stadium, and we've got all the Italians sort of kind of singing songs with the Brentford flag in Lazio Stadium when Gaza was playing for Lazio, and then we went across country to Ancona, then down to San Benedito, then we went to Ascoli, and we were there, and the police were giving us all sorts of malarkey, and then we ended up going back up to Bologna afterwards. It was a brilliant, brilliant trip, so I've got literally six hours of footage of that. I've got um, 1997 playoff final. I've got God, I've got, oh. it's all sorts of ridiculous <laughs> trip to Burberry, you know, the season that we got promoted and then in, what's it, 2009, you know, the first match of the season. There's all, honestly, I, I didn't realise I went up into the loft, so much video footage. Everyone thought that video started with Arsenal Fan TV and whenever they did, but <laughs> we got Falkirk in 1992. Like, you know, but, an hour and a half footage from Falkirk when we went up to Scotland in 1992. Absolutely hilarious stuff. So, uh, yeah, that's been keeping us quite busy sort of sifting through that and digitalising it as it is. And like I said to you, we're trying to get this out there into the space so people can see it and just wow. see, you know, what marvellous things went on with Brentford back in the day as well. I haven't had a, haven't had a, haven't had a, haven't had a drop of alcohol for two weeks as well, Eva. I um, just decided that, um, just realised that, Football, we go to football, we have a beer, we have a drink, we have a bit of a laugh, you sit around with your mates, and that's kind of 
you know, for me, it's part of the reason when you're drinking. But all of a sudden, you haven't got your mates around you. You know, at home necessarily, my wife's not drinking. No one else, the kids obviously not drinking. And so you sort of think, <laughs> <laughs> actually, the kids are drinking. That's why I stopped. What's the matter with them? What's the matter with them? So, uh, <laughs> so I just decided, hold on a second. So I just, just, just haven't had a, haven't had a drink for a couple of weeks, and then it's been, it's been quite, quite, quite good actually. So I'm feeling kind of fresh in myself. Full credit to Ash for not drinking and being locked up with you for two weeks, Bill. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, but other than that, you know, it's been uh, like I said to you, it's been, it's been, it's been good. I tell you something, what I did as well the other day, which is because obviously Zoom has kind of boosted itself. I mean, we did a couple of Zoom podcasts before the lockdown, um, and no one really knew about Zoom. But as soon as lockdowns come, obviously companies and everyone has been using Zoom to actually be doing all sorts of meetings and family get-togethers and stuff. But um, unfortunately, um, earlier on this week, last, last, last Wednesday, my, my uncle, my dad's brother, called up and told me that his wife had died, unfortunately. So uh, we're in lockdown zone, so you can't actually get out and go to the funeral. It's based in Canada. But the next minute, two days later, I get an invite through for the funeral. And basically, the funeral was Zoomed up, so you can actually, I was actually at his wife's funeral on wow. Zoom in Canada. So all of a sudden, and this would not have happened beforehand if you couldn't make it. You just wouldn't go, but now you've seen that things have moved on so much that you're actually able to attend family events, even though you're not necessarily able to be there. So that I thought that was quite, it was quite poignant of uh, kind of where we are at this time. But anyway, listen, I've actually come off as you probably know, social media back right off social media because it was just it's getting too much. I thought so about six weeks ago, the Facebook and the Twitter and everything like that. I just thought, tell you something, let's give it a little bit of a rest for a while because uh, you know, not watching any news. Not the social media. So all the social media I get comes from you guys and all the other WhatsApp groups I'm on. And to be quite honest with you, it's enough. Listen, but talking about positivity, football. There's a little bit of a rumour that football may be back on the cards. After this little twing, twang, we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the possibility of actually watching some football in the near time. So, as everyone's very aware, and we're very aware as well, I mean, the day we were going to go off to Fulham, literally the afternoon, many people had already left their houses to go down to Putney to hang out in the pubs and get ready for the game on Friday night. And then the word came in that football was going to be closed down. The Fulham game was postponed. All football for that weekend was postponed. And that was the last, basically, weekend that there was meant to be football. And there was no football. And that was on the 13th of March. And now, we're five weeks later, is it? And still, there's been no football in the UK and pretty much all around the world. They've locked down to keep people safe, to keep the players safe, to ensure that they maintain social distancing, to make sure that, you know, that this virus doesn't spread. But obviously, the big question is, you know, what is the out clause? When are we going to be out? When are we going to be reversing lockdown? Obviously, the answer is when it's safe to do so. There's certain countries who seem to have, uh, for whatever reason, we're not going to get into it, but maybe have dealt with um, some countries seem to have not got it so much, not so quickly, or seem to have locked it down a lot quicker. And it seems that with some of these countries, what they now seem to be doing is looking to get their country back up and running as quickly as possible. And one of the areas which they're looking to get up and running is football. And of course, one of the first countries it's been rumoured that is looking to get football back 
on the cards is Germany in the Bundesliga. The, the talks are round about possibly the second week in May. The Bundesliga could be back and up and running behind closed doors. Uh, assuming that, you know, the leaders and the world leaders out there give it the ratification that it's going to be safe enough to do so. But they said if they can do, they believe that they can handle it. Now, this is this is quite interesting. I think it's interesting because personally, I didn't think that there'll be any sport happening so soon. And to have sort of some sport happening within three weeks, I think that's actually quite amazing. Um, I don't know whether or not it's the right or the wrong thing to do because I'm not a scientist. Uh, so I'm just amazed by the fact that they, they seem to believe that they're able to get it done so quickly. Laney? Uh, it can only be a positive thing if uh, they're confident enough that uh, they're not going to put people's lives in danger. And, and, and if it's the Germans, um, then I'm kind of confident that they would be making the right decisions based on what's gone before. Uh, so, and the other positive is if, if, if the Germans can, can prove that it's safe to put players, um, you know, from two competing teams in a, in a, in a, in, you know, on field of play and have, have them competing at, a, at the top level, it means that probably that we're going to be a couple of weeks, three weeks, maybe a month behind them. So, you know, it's 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 the it's baby steps back for, towards some sort of normality. It's it is it is a positive thing. You know, we all want life to go back to some sort of normality. The quicker that can happen, the, the better. But it's about, as you say, George, the scientific evidence. It's not putting people in in danger. Um, I, I still see people in stadiums very 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 much further down the line. But that's not what we're talking about. So if we're not talking about whether it's safe to actually get fans going to the game, it's about getting the games up and running again. I think we, we spoke about from day one was, was games being played behind closed doors. That makes sense. Um, you know, we do need to conclude the season, and if the Germans are going to be the ones that kind of uh, get the ball rolling quite literally, then, you know, I hope it's a success, and I hope we're not too far behind because, you know, we just need to get the season, you know, 1920 done and dusted. Shows what you can achieve when you have a scientist as a prime minister. That really helps, or first minister as uh, Chancellor Merkel is. Um, however, I disagree very much with Laney because actually I don't think it's a return to normality, and it will be a return to normality in any way when footballers start playing. If it's behind closed doors, I, I don't see the point. Football without fans is not football, and it will just not be worth. You know, it will be an artificial game. Uh, I. <laughs> playing around, not really not really knowing what they're doing. It's all for the benefit of the TV companies. Um, TV companies are putting pressure on the leagues, quite obviously, and no doubt the, the same pressure is being applied in Germany as it's probably being applied in Britain and in Italy and even in Spain and other places that have suffered worse from the coronavirus. Uh, the TV companies are desperate to have something live to show their viewers so they can justify a um, making sure that people are paying their subscriptions to the sports channels and b football is desperate because it doesn't want to pay back the TV companies the money that that, that they'll that that football will owe the TV companies if they're not able to honor the contract. I, I just I, I won't be what I personally won't be watching myself because I just think that football in a played in an empty stadium with three hundred people watching you know, all of whom are connected with televising the game or connected with the clubs isn't worth doing. 
I'm sorry I've just been downbeat about it. I just need I just need to come back to just very, very briefly. And I and I, I don't I don't disagree with the fact that football without fans is, is you know, is a is a is a sad imitation of how it is normally. I just feel that football has to you know, has to sacrifice something and you know, if it it can't move forward unless we finish the season. I don't I, I fear for football surviving in, in, in the lower league if we can't conclude the season in a, in a fair way, which means competing the game. If the rest of the season has to be played, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying one, you know, given the two options, of course, but I can't, we can't wait until January next year to, to play with games with, with people in the stadium. Okay, just, can't, okay can't just liberal, liberal, I'm going to ask a question, okay? We all, of course, we all go to games week in and week out, we watch live football. However, if you were given the choice, right, to watch your team playing on television in June or to watch or to not have anything and then watch that team live in person next March, right, finish off the season, what would you, what would you go for? I would genuinely go for next March. I mean, I'm not... I, I don't say... Well, this we go yeah, but they'll be dead. They'll be finished. There is going to be a lot... There is going to be a huge shakeout of industries, of all type of industries across the world. We talk about the lower league clubs. The lower league clubs are in lots of, in lots of difficulties because, you know, they, they are not going to have television companies covering their games. They, they're not reliant on television money. They're losing the money from from the crowds or whatever. I suspect that Leagues 1 and 2 will probably decide to wrap up the season sooner rather than later. So, um, you know, we've, the we've, got players, we've got players whose contracts finish in June. So, so what are we going to do between June and next March? It has to be finished soon, Nick. I'm sorry. You can, you can, we, we, can, we can wish upon a star, but we have to finish the season as quickly as possible. Guys, can I get a word in? Yes, I'll grab I'm, I'm somewhere between the two of you. I think we all need some good news. We all need some evidence of near normality and playing football, as long as it's safe, as long as the people, you know, that's fine. I also accept that it's being done mainly to keep the lawyers at bay because you can imagine if the season is voided or if they do points per game, there are going to be lawsuits all over the place. How are we going to feel if it suddenly the playoffs, you know, uh, don't happen? How are Barrow going to feel? So I think there's some of that, but... And I agree, playing football behind closed doors is ersatz. It's not, the, it's not the real thing, but it's something. And I think that we will cling on to some basis of normality. And I also feel, I listened to Darren McAntony, the Peterborough chairman, on his podcast, who's very much an advocate of finish the season, the integrity of the season. I think it's got to be done. And, you know, I think there are a lot of clubs who are crying wolf to a small degree, who want to keep their money for next season, but this season has to be done. I think, Nick, if, if there's no football between now and March, there won't be any football, or not football as we know it, because all the contracts will be null and void. Player is be anarchy. Foot, uh, you're right, Greville. Football, football will not be as we know it, but what, what has annoyed me, and I've, I've said this in the past, is that football thinks it's a bubble. Football thinks it's some form of special industry which deserves some special treatment above all 
all other things. Football clubs may well go bust as a result of this. Restaurants will go bust as this. Retailers will go bust as this. Other businesses in, you know, airlines will go bust as a result of this coronavirus pandemic. It's, it is a disaster for, for the economy and a sad thing to happen. And I will be, you know, I hope that we can be able to pick ourselves up. But what we can't do is accept football Football for too long in this country and around the world has thought that it's been industry that, that is above all others and that we should be preserving at all costs. Yeah, it okay. isn't. There are lots of other lots of other sports that are in just as much trouble as football. They are li- football needs- liberal, but okay, I, I accept that point. Okay, but what I'm going to say, there's a few things here. There are two, I think there are two arguments here. There's, a, there's, a, there's an argument saying that football is all over the place financially, which it is, and we know that. We've discussed that beforehand, and we can go to a blue in the faces. But the fact is, that is something that will be sorted out possibly after this coronavirus thing. We need to deal with this coronavirus scenario. The second thing is that when you're saying that football believes it's special, it's almost like you're saying, why should football be able to start but nobody else can? If you've noticed, what's happened is... All around the country and all around the world, companies are, tr- are adapting themselves in whichever way they feel possible to make themselves um, uh, viable again. So, say for example, restaurant companies aren't having people sitting in the restaurants, but they're doing takeaways. You know, other companies who are, are, who are, who are good at one thing, they're changing the product maybe that they make and they, they start to make hand sanitizers. Everyone's adapting themselves very much to see how they can operate. Companies who are less adaptable aren't able to do that. The thing about football, football have got a a couple of issues where, yes, it needs the fans inside the stadium to keep it going. But at the moment now, to keep it ticking, football are saying, what do we need to do to finish this season? We need to get our players who are not ill on the pitch with some referees who aren't ill around the pitch and people around them that are not ill around the pitch. Everyone's fit. So basically, if we can control an environment and play nine matches between now and the end of the season to finish the season off we feel that we can do that this is what we'll need to do to do it these are people who are, who owe us money because this is what we've promised them if we can promise them what we'll do this money will come in which will feed into next season what they're doing for what i can see is they're trying to basically in effect make amends to make sure that they can finish a job because they're able to do it it's not a sort of they're not trying to be anything special they're just saying listen what can we do to make this work and i don't think there's anything wrong with that laney you're right it's about adaptation and no, no one's going to come out of this kind of unscarred and unscathed and you, you just, you've got to do what you have to do to survive and i think you know playing those nine games behind closed doors but you know we, we might by the time the end we, you know it might be play five games behind closed doors and you know be being being hopeful than the last few maybe with fans but you seen with f1 today they're looking to kickstart the, the the new formula one season at silverstone in july without any crowds there and you know it, it it won't be the same we shouldn't be a slave to the tv companies but we are you know we're not gonna we're not gonna cure that in the next few months we can look that that may maybe that's a longer term ambition but at the moment Football is reliant on it billions of pounds that Sky pays it and all these all these other TV companies around the world. They pay when when the players play, and we have to finish the nine games or ten games. We have to we just have to do that, and then then we can look forward to maybe getting the next season back. 
and we look we look back at this like it's some sort of bad nightmare which it is you know i i still think it's some sort of surreal sort of parallel world that we're in at the moment nothing's the same as how i've lived my 50 years you know so it, it is it's all alien and we have to just do what we have to do i'm not disagreeing with anything nick says but i think if we waited till march most of the clubs that we love would have died and and you know you can say football thinks it's special but but you know you're, you're looking at you're looking at small clubs you're looking at stockports you're looking at you're looking at probably brentford I mean, don't please do not underestimate how how long you know we can be bankrolled. You know, next March, you know, it isn't it isn't feasible to keep football alive until the fans can come back. We've got to do what we've got to do until we can do that. And and I can't wait for that day when football is packed to the rafters. The people that go to the games, the people that are the lifeblood. They will come back in their droves, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's sold-out stadiums as soon as people are allowed to go back to football. I agree. People have to adapt. People, things have to change. We've got to get these nine games done, and if, even if there's a breathing space after that to readjust, reassess, as long as no one gets ill during these games, in which case the whole thing falls apart and then we're back to where we are now. I think it's got to happen. We see how it goes. We learn from it. It's almost a testing bed for next season. And then we hopefully go again, maybe in September. Who knows? And talking about this as well, because we, um, and, 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 and it's probably a good point to bring up if you just check out um, John Varney, who's the Brentford CEO. He did an interview with the GPG, Griffin Park Grapevine, last weekend as well. You can go and check that out on the BFC Drone YouTube site. Very good interview it was. A lot of input from fans inside there. And uh, John Varney talked about a lot of issues, including obviously the, the restarting of the season as well. But also one of the issues that was brought up, which is which has got to be quite pertinent, and we'll probably talk about this a little bit more later when we talk about a broader issue about finances, is about Brentford and the bank rolling and where the money is coming from and how the money is coming in. Because obviously we've got a, an owner who, you know, who's got a fair amount of wealth. He has got a bottomless pit. But also, we have a situation where <laughs> we've got a coronavirus situation around the world, which means that the money from our owner has obviously uh, been curtailed somewhat because his business is a, is a gambling business and uh, gambling around the world has, uh, has, 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 has slowed down dramatically, almost come to a halt. So I think one of the questions was there, you know, is there going to be an issue about us and funding? And can we be guaranteed that, you know, Matthew will, you know, will always be there to kind of fund Brentford? And I think that, you know, this is something that needs to really be considered in this situation here. We're a club who is doing very, very well. We'll talk about the finances a little bit later, but it's not saying that we've got a bottomless pit. And also now we, uh, the money, we have got, we have got problems um, as every other club does, with, with money coming in. And Laney, I mean, yeah. you talked about that earlier. Greville, we talked about that earlier. And this is something that can't be... We can't, we can't brush that under the carpet. This is something which we kind of... Everybody, we need to just deal with our situation now and then try and move on how we can... Um, how we can move forward and you also have to take into account that he's got two clubs to, to consider he's, he's the owner of two football clubs so you know he has to he has to look at the situation in, in the uk um in, in london specifically and then obviously in denmark so it, it, it 
impacting on two fronts and that and that's kind of quite unique for a lot of club owners i would imagine it is and talking about denmark as well and greville because listen you know this whole concept about trying to think out of the box as they say trying to think differently brentford have always been very very well known for doing that um and that's why we uh, we operate in such a way or, or very dark times at the moment now which means that you know clubs have got to be thinking on their toes. They've also got to be working out how they can cut the purse strings and uh, keep a tight ship as it is to get through this period so they can come out the, the, the back end of it very well. Now, interestingly, one of Matthew Benham's other clubs, or one of his other clubs, his other club, um, FC Michelin <laughs> in Denmark. Has <laughs> he got more? It's an exclusive. He's <laughs> a club in Denmark have decided um, on an idea that they're thinking of holding drive-in football games. So they're thinking that when football restarts, what you'll be able to do is you'll be able to attend the match outside the stadium and watch it like a drive-in movie. So you turn up in your cars, you watch the game in a drive-in movie, and you see the game in action, and all the fans are there, and they'll be sort of creating their noise and beeping their horns from the cars, but you don't actually get out. And that is one of their solutions for, for, uh, for dealing with, uh, or, or trying to get numbers in, because they'll be selling tickets for this. They're trying to get numbers in. Now, Greville, what do you think of that as an idea? Well, it, this, this smacks of the mad craziness, brilliance Erasmus, actually. But look, if it's family groups um, who are able to sort of stay close to each other, I'll go for it. I think it's I think it's absolutely brilliant. But just to say, and I know people probably want to come back to this, I think one of the smartest things that the Brentford have done is they got the deferrals of wages sorted quicker than pretty much anybody. And it went through very simply, very easily because of the... I think the togetherness of the club, the fact that the players understand how this club is run, they get it. I think we're in we're in we're in as good or as not worse position as we as any as anyone can be at the moment. But Laney, I think you want to come back on the drive through. Yeah. So, so what, watching football in a car park is it's like it's a cross between like dogging and football. <laughs> <laughs> so. I'm not, I'm not, well, I have seen some YouTube videos. No, anyway, so move on from that one. But that's interesting. So, like I said to you, so interesting, an idea coming out of Denmark as to what they're doing to try and bring crowds back to the stadium. In Italy, interesting, because obviously Italy is one of the countries who have been very, very badly hit by the pandemic. There's talk of Syria also coming back within the, probably within the next month to six weeks as well, which for me, again, I thought that was very surprising um, that they felt confident enough that they felt that they have got the situation um, in hand enough that they can actually restart football. And I think it goes to show you, there's a couple of things there, probably how, because um, one of the main, the main sort of kind of um, um, broadcasters of football in, in Italy is Sky TV as well, yeah. obviously over here. So I, I think that maybe it shows the power as to what they're, throwing into it um, but also I think from the Italians perspective don't forget they've been locked down for a long time and they've had a they've had it quite grim not saying that other people haven't done and I think there's also a view that with football because it's it is a massive sport a massive connector and it also gets people up it's one way that they feel that it could take people's mind off things it can actually lift people and they think it's important to throw it into the mixer Laney 
Well, I, th I think that's one of the standout kind of iconic moments of the kind of build up to the, uh, you know, the, the, the pandemic was when when the Italian team started to play behind closed doors when Milan and Juve and the Northern Italian clubs were, were playing their games in, in, in empty stadia. And, and, it, and again, I, I have to 100% agree with Nick that football without fans is a shadow. You know, it, it's not it's something you would never, ever want to see. But, you know, they, they did what they had to do at the time um, and they'll be probably at the forefront of, of, of the same kind of situation com coming out of it. And uh, yeah, no, it, it, you know, it, 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 football. You think passion. You think of the, you think of those like big clubs, those big stadiums, and you know the fans are a massive part of that. So it's, it's a, it's a big sacrifice. It really is. But if it helps us get back to some sort of normality, then you know, um, it, I just think it's a, it's a bitter pill. This one we have to swallow. Rebel. Yeah, but going going back to these games behind closed doors. Um, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be able to watch some of the Italian games and I watched the highlights of these matches and they were, you know, you couldn't have, in terms of how the games went, they weren't artificial, they weren't played as friendlies, they were played at full pace. It just, all right, there wasn't as much atmosphere, of course there wasn't, but the games were competitive, the results were as you would have expected. You know, there were no real surprises, which is, I think is good. <laughs> which, given for Italian football, is a surprise. Allegedly. In terms of product, <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was easily acceptable. So I, I think that augurs well for what hopefully we will be seeing within the next six weeks or so. Uh, uh, Bill, you, you gave the game away. We You, you said that it was all about the broadcasters um, and mm. it will be... It'll be good for it'll be good for people to be able to watch a bit of football. I would I would hasten to suggest that the first week of football, possibly the first two weeks of football, shown on TV behind closed doors, there will be record viewing figures. They'll then tail off pretty rapidly, and I think the broadcasters will be disappointed at the end, even if we get through the entire nine games. I, I don't know. I'm not sure about that. The I amount of people that I've totally seen that saying literally they will be watching back-to-back -back football, they're off work, they're furloughed. They, they said, you know, if anything's going to make my life happier is the fact that at least I'm off work by myself, but I can watch football. I've seen so many people actually giving those comments. Sky, Sky, Sky got the rights to German football, yes, No, BT do, have. Do they? Is it BT? All right. It's BT. BT have the rights to German football. Yeah. And, and Italian football in this country is shown on some minor sort of Another subscription, uh, Premier Sports, I think. Joe Italian. Liberal TV. <laughs> yeah, so, 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 I mean, I'm just interesting as well because we're still, we're still talking about the, the, the league because we don't know exactly how things are going to end up because some people are still saying as the clubs are trying to make this work, it's going to be inevitable that there's going to be one conclusion. Now, obviously, the last podcast that we had, we talked about the fact that all the teams... Um, you know, below step three had actually, um, they null and voided, but they, they stopped the season. Then they stopped the season of the whole of the conference as well now. And all of all of sort of kind of non-league football basically has stopped the season. Interestingly, uh, you know, Phil Giles at the time had said that he felt 
in, in, in his GPG interview said that he felt that was a really bad move because he felt that it was uh, far too premature to make a decision like that and he couldn't understand why they'd stopped the season so early. Um, if you talk to a number of people within the first and second division, if you look at, say, Andy Holt, who's the Accrington chairman, who's very outspoken about kind of how things are for clubs like himself, who are a small club, but he, he really does believe in his club and keeping it going. He's, he's a very honourable bloke, Andy, and he's very outspoken as well. But, he's, you know, he's very worried about the situation with coronavirus and, you know, how the smaller clubs are able to cope. The question is to you guys, do you, do you think that these non-league teams, they've called it off at that time, do you think they've done the right thing, Greville? A lot of the contracts only go up until uh, the end of April, beginning of May, because the season ends uh, earlier, so they had real problems with that. But I did read over the weekend that now that the conference has voted to end the season, their next vote will be how do they end the season, and there is talk that they might still try and play playoffs for promotion. So that, that, in, that in itself is interesting. I also heard that there were, there were meetings end of last week between the first and second division teams and the EFL. And I'm led to believe that in the end, both divisions voted to continue, or i.e. to try and get the season done. And I think that's what's going to happen. So I, I don't think that any club is going to do is going to vote for anything kind of for the good of the game as a whole if you're sat at the top of the division. I, 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 I always think that if you think that you're nailed on to get promotion or you think that you probably will get promotion, you're going to just hang your neck out there for, for, for what you think's coming your way. You know, if, if, um, if the Premier League and the, the Championship got their heads together at the moment, there's no way on God's earth that Leeds United are going to vote for... For, for the game, you know, or for the for the season to be void, or Liverpool are gonna gonna vote for the, for the season to be void, unless they're nailed on an advantage for for next season. So if if the, I just don't I just don't see it. I think I think I think football football clubs will kind of see it see the bigger picture, but once they vote for it, like Coventry are top top of their division, you know, they they're only gonna vote for for the season to be ended, they're to the advantage for the following season. I, I think that's I think that's a matter of fact, and we you know we'll see how it pans out. But uh, it's, it's interesting to see that the, 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 the lower divisions, which I'm just glad that we're not part of anymore, um, are, are, are kind of like just pulling the plug. Um, but pulling the plug and having a reset is a very different thing. It is. Listen. We can talk about this more, but again, it's a lot of pontification on our part. And like I said to you, news is evolving all the time in this area. What we're going to do, have a little break, a little twang, have a little cup of tea, have a little sip of water, maybe have a little glass of wine over there I can see in the virtual joint. And then we'll come back. We'll have a little bit of discussion on Brentford finances, furloughing, people happy, people not happy with what's been going on out there in the football world. And then we'll just wrap it up. So in the last week, Brentford have released their accounts for the year 2018-2019. And the good news is that our day-to-day -day income is up nearly 20% this year. And it's actually up 50% since our promotion to the championship. So our income is 15.2, about 15.2 million pounds a year, which, like I said to you, is up nearly 20% on the previous year. 
Um, and like I said to you, a few little snapshots as well. Our wage bill is about up about 9.7%, slower than the growth of income. So the wage bill is about £124 for £100 of income that we bring in. It's actually the fourth lowest in the championship, about £8,800 a week. And this was last year, don't forget, so it doesn't include this year with your Pontuses and your Norgards and everybody else coming in. But still, like I said to you, even that year, we were the fourth lowest wage income. Liberal, I mean, you found this these figures quite interesting, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, and I think, you know, full credit goes to the uh, club and the powers that be at the club for what they did in that year up to June 2019, because they it made Brentford a turning around into starting to be a sustainable club, although we should still recognise that, that Matthew Benham has uh, got about £100 million plus as a total commitment to the club. Um, and he, of some of which, of that, about £20 million of which is secured against um, loans on the development of the new ground. Uh, what was really interesting, stood out to me, was the money we made from loaning out players. We made over £2.5 million pounds. Um, loaning out players in that last financial year, which was which was quite good. Thirty million pounds of it is due to a bit of a technical accounting deal dealing with the new land at Larnell Road and the transfer of of uh, off the books to the developer who's building the um, flats and the new community stadium there. But all around, it's good news because, as you say, we are actually starting to become a club that is moving towards becoming to be sustainable on a day-to-day -day basis. We still lost 3.77 million on day-to-day -day, um, activities in that last financial year. I would suggest that as we approach now in the, as we've moved on better with the player deals, we might be our wage bill might be higher. But given some of the additional revenue that we'll certainly be getting in from Lionel Road um, and the hospitality facilities, etc., it's a good move. It's a good. It's a good news story for Brentford. And I mean, what, what really puts it into context is uh, stupid remarks that the Preston player made last year, uh, Preston manager made last week, where he said that we ought to be banned from making transfers because of the losses that we made. He just simply doesn't understand a financial accounting sheet. But hold on a second. I mean, Liberal, uh, sorry, correct me if I'm wrong. The club made losses um, operational wise, but when you actually add the transfers in it, the club actually made a profit. Is that, am I correct? Yeah, that, 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 that's absolutely right. I mean, what it really shows is that our model works as brilliantly as it can, given the constraints of Griffin Park. You know, um, basically, these these accounts also don't include the sale of MoPay. Of course, we spent money as well, but we spent big money because we brought in big money. Um, and I think that once we move to Lionel Road, we will be even more sustainable. Uh, the only short-term problem we're going to have, well, one of the many short-term problems, is that we will not get the money we would have expected for the two star assets, Benrama and Watkins, should they be sold whenever the next window may be. Please God, they might even decide to stay with us. But the point is, I'm sure that they were booking 45, 50 million in for those two, and it might be two thirds of that. And that's going to have an effect next year. Even though we can buy better, we need to make those at least one massive sale every year. You know, we, we've done it for the last couple of years with Metham, Konza, Mope. Um, it will continue this year. But really, we have done absolutely brilliantly. And I just saw a chart that said behind Tottenham Hotspur, we are the second most profitable club in the land 
in the 2018-19 season. Who, who have actually put their accounts, <laughs> have actually published their accounts, because many clubs haven't published their accounts. And that figure was, if I remember rightly, it was just under yeah. £20 million. Pounds. So the, the profit mm. that we've made is round about £20 million. Pounds, and a lot of that, as we've said, has come from the way that we do our player sales. So, you know, a lot of mm. people are sort of saying, oh yeah, Brentford are just cashing in. But it's kind of, you could see the way that we've been running our season. What we've had to do is that we have slowly built that we've been able to buy more expensive players we sell players for more yep. money we buy more expensive players and then bang we went with it this season where we've actually kind of gone and spent a lot bigger and that's why i mean not saying it hasn't hit other teams but why this coronavirus thing is going to is hit us quite hard as well because it's the season where we've decided to go big we've decided to spend more money on people like you know norgards and your your pontuses the wages that they're on you know the, 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 the you know spending 6 million on bumo and things like that so yes we've spent out more money and it's going to be reflected in those accounts next year so it's the risk that we've taken so um, coming back to what you were talking about from Alex Neal from Preston North End, who says that he believes that clubs like Brentford should be uh, banned from you know, making transfers when they're furloughed. I mean, that's caused a bit of a real fuss. Um, and I'm speaking, speaking to my PE chums who actually claim that he didn't actually say that. He actually never mentioned any team in particular. And all he did is that he was talking about the fairness of. Um, what's happening out there, which I do actually understand. Kind of what he's saying is that if you can't afford to play your staff, you shouldn't be able to to, to, to buy players um, in the it's next a, window. It's a storm in a teacup. It's a storm in a teacup. Preston need to keep rather quiet because apparently outside Reading, who pay you know twice what they earn in even in wages, uh, Red, uh, Preston's ratio is also incredibly poor. So you know they 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 don't run as tight a ship as they could. But it's, it's, also, it's also really difficult because, you know, you, you, you have to play by the rules and uh, anyone that's got a business or anyone that's you know, in business, you kind of work out what's available, what options are available to you in a sort of an environment of complete and utter uncharted territory and you work out what your best course of action is to kind of navigate through that. And, if, if furloughing, if deferring wages is what everyone is doing in terms of like the whole of the, the economy, and if, if those options are open to you, then you, you, you'd be a fool not to, to contemplate it. Um, you know, the, the, the question then is, would, would Brentford be wrong to then go and buy a player in, in July, August or September, whenever the new season is going to be? And I, I personally, I, I don't see that being an issue. It's like saying British Airways have furloughed all their staff. Um, are they allowed to go and buy a new aircraft in, in December? Probably they are. Um, you know, it, it, that, that, they're the rules. Everyone plays by the same rules. You, you, I, I don't think you can. I don't think you can sort of necessarily um, paint someone in a bad or a worse light because. They've, uh, they've 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 used the rules in a, in a different way, so it's it's really it's really different. You know, it's, it's almost impossible times. You know, it's almost like damned if you do, damned if you don't. With, with a football, with a football club, we, we we aren't in the same situation as as Tottenham or Liverpool or Arsenal or Man City or Man United. We haven't got this huge Premier League in income. We haven't got that yet. So. We, we, we have to cut our cloth accordingly and, you know, really, 
And if it, I, I don't necessarily think we've done anything wrong so far. Okay, and what you've also got a situation, and we've talked about this earlier, is that you've got a donor who's got an income, but he's got a, a finite amount of income, and obviously his income's been hit. The money that he's putting into us is also be, is being hit. What we do or we don't, what we don't know as well is that you know we don't know a hundred percent about what the furlough situation is. So, our, the, as, the, the, as the club has obviously furloughed a proportion of the staff, right? They haven't, they haven't furloughed everybody. They furloughed a proportion of the staff, and um, have they decided to top up their wages with the the, the remaining twenty percent? We, we don't know that question, you know, is that the ethically the right thing to do, is it not the right thing to do? At the end of the day, what the club is obviously trying to do is trying to manage its cash flow. If you believe there's money coming in later down the line, then what you want to try and do is make sure you get yourself there to make sure that you don't crash and burn before it gets to that spot. So the fact that they said that they were very, very grateful that the players actually went out of their way and they led the way to defer their wages, which meant that they'll get paid further down the line, which helped them again in a cash flow situation, I think is quite telling. Um, like we said to you, we talk about the furlough situation. We don't know exactly what the scenario is there. But um, from what I can gather and reading in between the line of what John Varney was saying in his GPG interview, he was saying, look, you know, we're not going to be, we don't believe it's going to be held, we're going to be um, um, out, left out to dry. We feel that, you know, if you're talking about certain time periods where people are talking about three, two, three, four, you know, maybe five months, they believe that they might be able to weather the storm over that with making the cuts and the shifts and the furloughs and all that kind of stuff and pumping the money through and keeping us going. Um, it, again, he didn't quite say it, but you can hear that he's sort of saying is that, you know, maybe if the timelines were different and you were talking about longer timelines where the money wasn't going to be coming in the same way, the club would have to have a rethink. And that's why I think that we kind of have to be pretty aware that we are in pretty extraordinary times at the moment now. And we kind of like, not saying the rules go out the window, but we've got to just kind of just, you know, we, we've got to just kind of keep a little bit of an open mind as what's going on out there. Greville. Yeah, I, I, think, I think we've just got to remember, we've got to trust in the club. We are run by people with very agile minds. We do things differently. We do things in an innovative manner. We generally are ahead of the game in terms of identifying new trends. We, as I said, we, we managed to agree a deferment with the, with the squad much quicker and much less fractiously and much more easily than anyone else has done. I think we are as, in as, as good a place as we can be, which is not a great place, but it's a darn sight better than most. But we will change and adapt as the situation becomes clearer. I don't think we can say any more than that. No, I, I'd, have to, I'd have to concur with that. I, I, I honestly think that, you know, the, the people that we have in charge, the DOFs and the owner, they, they do think differently. And as Greville rightly says, you know, it, it's it's stood us in 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 a in a very very strong position so far, and I have every faith in in them coming up with a solution that gets us out of this in a in a in a, in a good way. You know, hopefully some of the players that were injured and there were question marks over their fitness going into this situation, they may be you know, they they may be match fit. Uh, who knows? I mean, I, I'm guessing at that. But if it's, if it's a nine-game sprint at the end of the season, I've put us up there with everyone. 
there's obviously there's a little bit, uh, you know, a, a few of the clubs sort of kind of a little bit of kerfuffle and a little bit of unhappiness about how certain teams are operating. What we've reflected around here is saying, listen, trying to keep your ship in order, make sure the boat keeps on sailing and all this kind of stuff. But also just thinking about it, if you're a club who is actually quite well run and you are actually keeping quite a tight ship, but you've got somebody who's got a certain amount of finance, but you're not you know, doing a Mel Morris and just throwing money at it. What is shown is that this coronavirus situation, and I'm not sort of saying this is the best thing in the world, but what it has done in, in, in a way kind of as a side issue, it's kind of really exposed football and a lot of clubs and to show how badly that they are and have been run. But also what it seems to have done is it's actually kind of sort of really highlighted the clubs which are run a lot better. And what it may show is that if, if and when we say if and when, but when we come out of this, those clubs may actually find themselves in much better shape in a lot of ways. Maybe the way that, the, you know, the team morale is, you know, the way that all our people, all our staff, all the team all seem to just pull together to say, listen, we're going to do this and we're going to pull out of this, you know, all together. The morale, the financial situation, you know, the way that we're doing transfers and business, maybe us coming out of this will actually lay us in a lot better stead than a lot of the other clubs around us. Do, do you agree? Yeah, I, I do. I do agree. Um, I, I think there's, you know, and one, it's one of the questions I've, I, I, you know, I put to, um, I put to uh, on the, you know, the GPG um, interview with Phil Giles a couple of weeks ago. Is there anything that we can? You know, is there anything you're hoping that the game can learn from and that we can come out of this with the game in a not I don't mean clean in a you know it, it's dirty corrupt situation. I just like is there any is there any is there any sort of light at the end of the tunnel for football? And Phil Phil kind of I, I think suggested that there were positives. Um, and you know, but one of the one of the things he did say was that players were and the wages wouldn't be affected by it. They are the talent, they are the ones that um, the, the, the huge TV revenue pays for. It's, it's not the clubs necessarily, it's the players. So, uh, you know, I think Brentford are very aware where the, you know, the lineage of, uh, of the kind of talent pool is. And, you know, I, 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 but I you know, again, I, I, I go, I jump. I, I am so confident that people that took us into this situation are the one in, in a good place are the ones that are going to take us out in a good place. Mm. I mean, I agree, I agree, I agree with ladies to an extent, but it goes back to the point that I was making in our previous section: is that football is going to be a dramatically changed place when we come out of this. And there will be some football clubs that will be in a lot of financial trouble because they have incompetent owners uh, who have mortgaged themselves to the hilt, who have uh, tried all sorts of uh, financial shenanigans to uh, make sure that they uh, try and reach the promised land of the Premiership. And I would suggest that in future, the promised land of the Premiership may not be as lucrative as, as it has been in previous years. I think that players uh, will actually, players' wages will probably, uh, other, other industries' wages will decrease. And I think that transfer fees will go down as well. So, all in all, that means that the Brentford model is one that is going to be adopted by more and more clubs. And the brilliant thing about Brentford is that we've got a massive head start on all those clubs who will be trying to compete with us. Lane. 
easy, you know, 100% agree there, Nick. But, you know, you say, like, the uh, the Brentford model will be adopted by other clubs. Easier said than done. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't just do that. You can't just go, oh, we'll adopt the Brentford model. Um, you know, it's, 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 like, it's almost like the most taxing thing you can say about Brentford. is like, oh, we'll just do what they do. Um, without without all the ingredients and without the knowledge and without the manners, it's, it's, the, it's not only the it's not only the way we recruit people. It's the it's the, it's, it's the due diligence you do on those people too. We haven't got a, we haven't got a squad full of complete and utter muppets. We haven't got that. We've got a squad full of really nice people. We've got a club full of nice people, and the club trying to get a fan base full of nice people as well. And it is it's it's not it's not an easy thing to do. But you oh. have to you have to you have to take um you, it, it's about a it's a set set of ethics. It's about what's right and who's good and obviously the talent of football as well. And and, and that's so hard to bake that cake, it's so difficult. Oh, don't get me wrong. I mean, you know, there'll be lots of clubs who will. There'll be lots of clubs who will try it, and the majority, the vast majority, will fail for precisely those reasons that you state. And hundred percent agree. I go back to to what it is about. You know, it works. It does work in other leagues and in in around some other clubs around the world. But there are very few of them. But there will be more who will be attempting to do it. What it will what it will be interesting to see is if some of these billionaire owners. Um, who will be less than billionaires by the time this is all over, are prepared to actually invest in the right way in the future to see something happen and football to change, which it does need to do. I think we've got to realise, actually, that every team pretty much uses data. Every every team has analysts. It's just that we are probably four or five years ahead of them all and better than them and have our own bespoke better data that we know how to interpret. So, you know, we've, we've got a competitive advantage... I think we are going to see the Sheffield Wednesdays, the Birmingham's, the Derby's, the Monoliths absolutely crash and burn in the next year so. You know, I actually think that we are mean and lean and we will come out of this pretty well. That's how I feel. Okay, and, and it's interesting because you talked about, I mean, I was talking about earlier about the, the change of the landscape. Um, I've spoken, you know, quite a few times about, you know, how I've been in on these EFL meetings, um, supporter fan meetings, where we actually discuss a number of things. And I was in on Sean Harvey's last meeting at the EFL the day before the playoff final against Aston, well, Aston Villa, you know, last summer. And I actually brought up the whole Derby selling stadia thing. And I asked this EFL, will you not crack down on this? And, you know, it's a real bee in my bonnet. And uh, we discussed it for about an hour. But it was actually put on the minutes and it was dismissed by Harvey in that meeting. Such, You know, he explained the reasons why he thought it was a good thing. But then interestingly, they brought that up about six months later with Rick Parry, who's the new head of the EFL. Now, interestingly, I noticed a few days ago, because another point I brought up in that meeting as well, I'm not saying, oh, I'm the one that brought it up, but another bee in my bonnet, I said, listen, is it not possible to cap wages because all these clubs who are spending so much money, they're putting this money into players, it's going up and up and up, and they're getting themselves into trouble. If you can actually try and cap the spend in some way, then that would actually really help the situation. And it also help fans who are fans of these clubs who get wrapped up in this, and then next minute their club gets into bankruptcy, and then it affects the fans. So this is important, not only for the teams and the players and the chairman and all this kind of stuff, but the fans. And again, Sean Harvey explained why that couldn't be done and he sort of kind of dismissed it. It was minuted, 
and it's up, up on the EFL website, but only a few days ago, I noticed that they're considering, they're saying, how they may be able to do some sort of capping of wages. So I think it's quite interesting, as you're saying, that the landscape, I think, looks like it may be changing and the discussion's being made and maybe this coronavirus situation may actually accelerate some of these conversations. Mm. Mm. Sean Hart, was he in the E17? Yes, he was, actually. And um, I'm not even going to talk about that because I actually did a lot of work with uh, Sean Harvey from E17, and he's actually a, a really good bloke, um, a proper, proper good bloke. He's a bit of a laugh, a bit of a geezer. Um, Brian was a bit um, interesting. All right. <laughs> but he was all right. He was sort know. of reason with, no doubt. That's he was all right. right. That's right. But anyway, listen, we've talked enough about money. We've talked about finances. We've talked about the future with our crystal ball. We've talked about, you know, when we might... Actually, we haven't talked about when we might be back watching some football. We talked about this in the last podcast. We all had our sort of kind of views. I'm just going to a little revisit. Laney, when do you think that we are going to see Brentford playing a game of football? Give us a date. Okay, so Brentford will play a game on my birthday on the 10th of June. Right, on the 10th of June. And what date will we be in the stadium? Will we, see, will we actually physically see a game? We've, we've seen we've seen the last game at Bridge Park. So when's the, we've when already we seen see? the last game. So when, what date are we going to be in the stadium? Who's date? Um, oh, um, the 18th October. So Greville, give us date. When will we see football? Oh... Uh, well, we'll watch it on uh, I Follow. If I Follow starts working properly, I reckon June the 16th. As long as none of the players get ill, I think we'll finish when the, the stadium? season. When in the stadium? Uh, in the new stadium, February the 5th. So, the, so is that when the fans are going to be in the stadium, the first game? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, February the 5th. Liberal Nick. Uh, I think that there will be games played behind closed doors on January, uh, sorry, January, in June the 7th, 5th, somewhere around there. And I think we will be watching live game at Larnell Road on Saturday, January the 2nd, 2021. And I think we're going to be talking about June. We're going to be talking about June, about June the 20th is where we're going to see some game on TV. Um, I don't think we'll actually be in the stadia. I don't think we'll actually see a game till March the 2nd as well. We actually won't be in the stadium till March the 2nd for various reasons, logistically. Um, I may be wrong. But anyway. Let's so, so last, have we seen the last game of Griffin Park? Yes. Yes. No. Yes. No. Uh, no. 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 Last competitive game at Griffin Park. Yes. No. no. Yes. No. Yes. 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 No. And the reason why, I'm going to throw this out there. We've got two stadia. Is there any reason to move to Lionel Road forever? Why can you not play one game at Griffin Park? Okay. I'm happy to, I'm happy to depart with that thought in my head. Yeah. yeah. Lovely prospect. Yeah. But I Especially, think... no, no, one, no one needs to be right on this. Let's, right. let's leave let's leave let's throw the seeds out there for someone to make it happen wherever it's going to be next year the seeds of love <laughs> but listen and this is the besotted the besotted pride of West London quarantine podcast I'm Billy Grant I'm here with Laney Lane hello and I'm here with the Liberal Nick hello and I'm here with the Greville the water man we've been here hello. in Actually, the virtual shouldn't it be, joint shouldn't it be goodbye 
Yeah, you say hello, say goodbye, say whatever you want to. Be in the boat, yeah. hanging out. Say hello. Stay safe. Stay safe, everyone. Say goodbye. And as you can see, it's going a little bit loopy here. Say hello. Yeah, they've been locked inside for far too long. You know, they're all talking to themselves. But listen, it's been great hanging out, chatting football. Haven't chatted football for quite a few weeks, and it's good to get it off your chest and get it out there. Hope you enjoy it. Check out, like I said to you, uh, Liverpool or our FA Cup 1989 little feature, which will be out next week with our fingers crossed. We're going to be working hard on that to get that out to you. And it'll just give you something different to just check out. But other than and, that... Uh, I, might, I might do uh, a, a, like what I found on YouTube special. Uh, we, should, we should move on from that. As we say, there's something that we haven't said before quite a few weeks, but we say it at the end of every single podcast. And even though there's no football in sight, it still doesn't matter. We've still got to say it. As we say... Come on, Johnny Bees. 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 Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.